Welcome to Pigskin Frenzy on this wonderful Tuesday afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm Joel Norris, and whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on Spotify, or listening on Podbean, a big thank you for taking some time out of your Tuesday to just sit back, watch, and listen to some college football coverage presented by me. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, leave a like on that episode, and leave a comment down below. Spotify, if you're listening on there, share around with others and follow the page there. Podbean, if you're listening on there, do the same thing. Just share around with others and follow on there as well. We have Twitter and we have Facebook. Twitter, it's at pigskin underscore frenzy, all lowercase. Just type in that bad boy on the search engine. Follow, like the page there, like the tweets. You'll get updates for episodes and news and notifications from across college and NFL football. Facebook, same thing. All you got to do is type it in, Pigskin Frenzy. You'll follow and like the page there. You'll get episode updates as well as news and notifications from across college and NFL football. That was quick. <laughs> that was that was quick. I did that. I did that pretty fast. Get that out of the way there. But we're going to be talking about some college football. Uh, I'm going to give you my last little bit of spring outlooks today. We're going to be talking about uh, so from some top teams. You know, spring football starts. You know, April 13th, it kicks off, you know, with some some games then. Then we're going to go all the way till May 6th. May 6th, that's a, that's a stretch if we're talking about the overall picture of college football with spring games. But a lot of the top teams play the next three Saturdays, April 15th, April 22nd, and April 29th. Um, so we're going to be talking about, you know, the last bit of spring outlooks. I'm going to mention some, I'm going to mention three teams uh, for, you know, the last bit of outlooks before spring football kicks off. Thursday. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to give you an update on the Pac-12 media rights deal. I mean, surprisingly, in a week, there's been some more updates on it. So that I thought that was interesting there. We're going to be talking about that. I said I was going to mention the Texas A&M, you know, quarterback competition, but I didn't because of, you know, a time crunch, you know, on the episode. But, you know, we're going to talk about it today. And I said I was going to get to it today. So we're going to talk about it today. But I kind of thought for this past week, Let's not just talk about the, the the quarterback competition. Let's talk about the state of the program as a whole, because that is something I kind of want to you know discuss there. So we're not just gonna we're gonna talk about the quarterback battle, but we're also gonna you know tie it in with the state of the program there. So talk about some Texas A and M football today. We're also gonna be talking about the pivotal matchups for the college football playoff race. I saw where an article on 24-7 Sports was released of the top 10 matchups for the college football playoff race in 2023. So I thought that was interesting, and I actually agree with that article. I actually agree with some of it. I felt like they should have, you know, put some more games in there because there was a lot of games that were off that list. But, you know, it's their list. I'm not judging. It's their thing. So... I created my own. <laughs> I came up with my own. There's going to be some games that were on that list, some games that were not on that list. So we're going to break it down into two parts. I'm going to give you five today, five on this Tuesday, and then five next Tuesday. So my last five of the game of uh, pivotal games for the college football playoff race will be next Tuesday. So that's my last five will be next Tuesday. So the first five will be this Tuesday. Next Tuesday, last five. So we're going to talk about everything. We're going to tie everything in together here on Pigskin Frenzy. Don't leave yet and just stick around, share around with others on Spotify and Podbean and subscribe and follow and like and leave a comment down below on YouTube. So 
kicking right off with the Pac-12 meteorites deal. So an update on that. Per The Athletic, they are chasing a new linear TV deal, and it's one that you might not expect. And I was kind of shocked about it when I found out, you know, what that that channel was. It's the CW. So per The Athletic, Stuart Mandel does a great job with The Athletic. Go and read his stuff for The Athletic. Subscribe to The Athletic. Love it. You know, love their articles for on college football. Just amazing. They they are they know what they're talking about. Bruce Feldman, Stuart Man uh, Stuart Mandel. I mean, all those guys. They know what they're doing. So. Great article by Stuart Mandel, so good article there. So Pac-12 meteorites deal. They are talking about them going to the uh, CW. And then I'm going to, you know, talk about that, but also the update from ESPN's Pete Thamel. Good writer for ESPN. He won uh, Writer of the Year last year, so go and check out his stuff. Amazing. Follow him on Twitter as well. Just keep up with him. He's a good writer. So Pete Thamel wrote about how and gave an update, a timeline update for that Pac-12 media deal. He talked about how it will be in, at least until late spring, early summer, until a deal was actually worked out. So we've kind of made some ground since last week. We talked about last week how a deal was unlikely to happen anytime soon due to the fact that they couldn't, you know, they couldn't, you know, come to terms on a media rights deal there. So for linear TV, I mean, it's looking like the CW may be an option. So, you know, good for the Pac-12, you know. Right now, it is desperate times for the Pac-12. It's, it's, it's one of those things where it's desperate times call for desperate measures, you know. So they, they, they're looking for one quickly. They're looking for one that can be, you know, suffice for them and they can get some, you know, some good coverage and good viewers out of it. The CW, um, has a lot of, you know, good football shows on there. Uh, all Americans won. So it's looking like they're, they're going to bring the pac 12 there. So we may have some pac 12 football on the CW coming up in the fall, maybe. So, I mean, we'll just see about it, I guess. I mean, that deal is, you know, would be huge. I mean, like I, like Pete Thamel said from ESPN, they're not going to have a deal set in place until late spring or early summer. So that would be probably May to June, maybe even late June. So that's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be up until it's April now. So it won't be, you know, for a little bit until they get, uh, you know, the deal set in place. But the CW is the rumored destination and the uh, rumored, you know, channel that they are looking to talk to or in talks with. And um, that's interesting. It is interesting, especially for, you know, the Big 12 and other conferences trying to go after the four pillars of that conference, i.e. Colorado and Utah. So Colorado is a is a huge candidate right now to defect from the Pac-12 and to go into the Big 12, which would be, you know, huge. It'd be huge for the Big 12 to get to add another uh, add another team in there from the acquisitions of uh, you know, UCF, Cincinnati and, and BYU in Houston. So I mean, it's huge, you know. It'd be huge for Colorado to go up into the Big 12 along with Utah. So I mean, the Pac-12 right now needs a TV deal right now. They need, you know, more numbers. They need, you know, something to, you know, to stay afloat right now. So Pac-12's media deal, uh, you know, CW is their target. Um, an update on that as well as a deal couldn't be in play. Well, probably won't be in place until early spring or late spring, early summer. So good job by the Athletic and Stuart Mandel and Pete Thamel from ESPN on 
that one. So that's just a quick update for the Pac-12. Let's move on to spring football. So spring football, we're going to give you my spring, uh, some more of my spring outlooks. And my last bit of spring outlooks for some top teams, I'm going to mention, you know, three teams that have been on my mind and been on my radar. And we're going to kick it off with the earliest from the latest. So let's kick it off going out west to USC and my spring outlook for what I want to see from them. So USC, I mean, from November of 2021 up until now, it's been a whirlwind for them, obviously. So you sit and you think, okay, you know, they, they they lost Clay Helton. They, they fired Clay Helton. And then all of a sudden, you know, hey, you know, we're, you know, looking for another coach, getting, you know, you know, just changing everything. And they're gunning for a big hire. So, I mean, who could it be? You know, that's what everyone was thinking. Who could it be? You know, is it going to be, is it going to be, you know, Luke Fickle, a James Franklin? There, I mean, James Franklin was interested in that USC job for a little bit. So we were thinking, oh, James Franklin may go to USC and leave Penn State. It's interesting. I mean, you know, cold from sunny weather and uh, shorts and flip-flops. You know what I'm saying? That's a, cat, Listen, Los Angeles is a good market, and it's a huge market for college football and football in general. So, I mean, whoever – I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a high-quality job. You know, it's has some legendary status to it, and USC, you know, a lot of people are going to want to go to a USC, obviously. So, then there was rumors of Lincoln Riley – Oklahoma head coach at the time going to LSU. And then, you know, he flat out said, Hey, I'm not taking the LSU job. I have nothing to do with the LSU opening coming up and I have nothing to do with that. So next day, all of a sudden we hear from the athletic Bruce Feldman. Hey, USC zeroing in on Lincoln Riley. Then they hire him an hour later, not an hour. I wouldn't say even an hour later. I'd say 15 minutes later, they announced they hired him and it's like, Whoa, that's a shift. You go from Clay Helton and to Lincoln Riley, and Helton's not a bad coach, but Lincoln Riley is an elite level coach. So you sit there and you're like, okay, that's that changes the whole dynamic of the Pac-12. They should be in at year one, and they were, <laughs> and they were. So they had a bunch of transfers from Oklahoma, including Heisman winner Caleb Williams, go to USC. And it was a whirlwind. They had a good spring last year, had a good season last season. They lost three games, and I'm going to get to those in a minute, but they dominated the stretch up until late last season. They went to a New Year's Six Bowl. Unfortunately, it didn't end the way that it, you know, it, you know, it should have been for them. It, I mean, it was a projected USC victory, but Tulane, great football team, not taking anything away from Tulane and Willie Green there. I mean, good, good football team from Willie Fritz and Tulane, the Green Wave. So, but USC had a good season and they were dominant. Caleb Williams won the Heisman Trophy, had a lot of players come in. USC's back and they're back on they're you know, they're back at the top of the food chain again. So, that's what Lincoln Riley wanted to do and he's achieved that so far in year 1. However, the offense is not what I'm concerned about as much. Um, I'm concerned a little bit about their defense, and that's where my spring outlook for USC comes in. Um, a, a lot of the, those three losses kind of worried me a little bit. The two, the first loss to Utah was a very close game, 
but their defense gave out very late. It gave out very late, and Utah ended up beating them by a point. It was a point. It was a close game, but it's a win for Utah nonetheless. So then you have... All of a sudden, you have, you know, they they went out. They make it to the Pac-12 championship game, and guess who they face? Utah in a rematch. First quarter looked good for USC. They were go, they were rocking and rolling. Utah ended up coming back in the second quarter. And then the second half ended up being just flat out, you know, Utah domination. I felt like the defense kind of gave out a little bit. The defense worries me for USC. It's a concerning thing. Um... Alex Grinch is staying on board, and there's nothing that no one's going to say or do to change that. It's, that is Lincoln Riley's staff. It's Lincoln Riley's call. But we need to find a way to play defensive football in USC. You got the offense. The offense is fine. You just need to figure out what's going on with that defense and what's going on with you know the whole complexion of the defense. So, I mean... If you if you look at the numbers in the Utah game, the Pac-12 championship game, they gave up a lot of yards, chunks of yards, chunks of big, like chunks of yards on plays that weren't supposed to be big. You know, tackling was an issue. Giving up big plays and big chunks of yards was a, it's a huge miscue for USC. So, I think the defense is what, and that's really the only outlook I have for USC is their defense. They need to find a way to play. Better defensive football. I think there's a lot of teams in the Pac-12 that they're going to play this season that are pretty solid. I mean, the up-and-coming rise of Colorado is going to be, you know, something to look out for. You got Oregon on November 11th. We'll mention that matchup. Hint. Uh, that's a, good, a matchup there. You got uh, you got Utah again. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's big, you know? It's big. And, and it's like, okay, you got to have a good defense. So if your defense is, you know, just not keeping not keeping anybody off the field, that offense will get tired eventually, and the defense will start, and you know, an opponent's defense will start to pressure USC's offense along with Caleb Williams. You know, then it kind of adds up and it kind of evens out, and it creates hostile situations and it creates, you know, losses on your schedule. So I think that Utah, I think USC rather needs to figure out a way to fix the defense and fix the, you know, the holes and mistakes on that. Other than that, USC is going to be a top team in the, in the, in the playoff hunt. They're going to be in contention. I think USC is most likely going to make it back to the Pac-12 championship game. However, and then I'm not, you know, making anything, you know, a spectacle of predictions yet. Uh, I'm going to, I'm probably going to wait until late summer, early fall to start making projections on that before the season starts. But USC probably needs to look at their defense right now. That's just my take on that. So that's USC's outlook. Nothing wrong with their offense. Just they need to worry about their defense currently. So let's move on to the next one. Uh, for April 12th, Their game is April 15th, by the way. USC's game is April 15th. So let's move on to the next one. Oklahoma, their game is on April 22nd. So the next Saturday. So Oklahoma, that was an interesting dynamic. They hired Brenton Venables after to replace Lincoln Riley. After Lincoln Riley left for USC, Oklahoma hi hired, you know, their guy. I mean, Brent Venables, who was at Oklahoma way before he was at Clemson. Huge, huge hire, good hire for them. It helps them on defense. And we 
thought it was going to help them on defense, at least in the first season. But, but their defense gave up a bunch of chunk plays, a bunch of chunk yardage, and it's back to the defense here. I think their offense needs a little work on some areas, but it's not too bad. It's not like it's a minor fix. And I say that as, you know, a minor fix as in, I, I think with Oklahoma, here's what we need. It's a rebuilding process, and that's all it is. It's not a, a thing where it's okay. They're, you know, they need to fix anything before Brent Venables, you know, is on the hot seat. I wouldn't put Brent Venables on the hot seat at all. I'll tell you why, because that was his first season. You need to put, you know, you need to just make minor adjustments, as in make minor fixes to the offense, and you're fine. You got Dylan Gabriel. You uh have Jackson London, the the new guy coming in from uh you know, from, you know, out of high school, freshman or highly talented freshman recruiters is backing up, you know, backing up, uh, rather, sorry, Jackson Arnold coming in from high school, the highly talented five-star recruit. Jackson Arnold's going to back up Dylan Gabriel. And then Jackson Arnold will have the keys to the kingdom. I think Dylan Gabriel will have one more good run and then Jackson Arnold will take over. Now, will there be a mini competition? Probably, yeah. I mean, Jackson Arnold's a highly talented recruit. He wants to play. So we're going to see how he does in the spring. And that's an outlook there too. You know, we'll see how Jackson Arnold develops. So Jackson Arnold, highly talented recruit. Good player. I mean, Washington, he, he was a good, has an arm, by the way. He makes good decisions, and he has an arm. He's going to be a threat for Oklahoma as they go into the STC next season. So, good, good pickup for Oklahoma there. We're going to see how it, you know, how everything goes. You got Jeff Levy there. got Brent Venables. I mean, listen, it's, it's not, you know, not going to be one of those, you know, okay, it's, dangerous you know Oklahoma's can be in a good spot they're rebuilding that's all it is they're rebuilding and he's not on the hot seat now or at least I wouldn't say he's on the hot seat but I would say they got to make minor fixes and the minor fixes I would say is open up the playbook more you know open up what Dylan Gabriel can do Dylan Gabriel put up some huge numbers at UCF you know so it's like he he knows you know he knows what Jeff Levy could do he knows what, you know, he knows what, you know, what kind of offense and scheme that he runs. So it's like, okay, what we need to do is this. Open up and expand the playbook more. If you open up the expand the playbook more and run some stuff and be less a little bit less conservative, a tiny bit less conservative, Oklahoma will have an explosive offense again. They will, you know, put up some big points and big numbers. I just don't see Oklahoma finishing like they did last season. I think six and six is not the Oklahoma standard. Oklahoma has high standards for themselves. You know, they have high standards for themselves, not just in the Big 12, but in the entirety of college football. They want to be at top, you know. They want to be in the in contention. They want to be in New Year's Six or playoffs every season. So, I think right now you need to open up the playbook on offense a little bit more, but that's just that's just that's just about it, you know, for offense. Just open up the playbook a little bit more, take bigger risk, you know, on offense. Not just that, also their defense. A Brent Venables defense is, you know, usually stout, solid, and they don't give up a bunch of, you know, they don't give up too big of chunk plays unless it's like, you know, unless it's, you know, you're playing a high octane offense. So I get that. You played a couple of high-octane offenses last year with Max Duggan and TCU, and, you know, you played a high uh, – and, and even Texas. I mean, Quinn Ewers, you know what I'm saying? He's he's a solid quarterback. He's going to put some yards on you. So, 
I mean, they you, you face some high octane offenses. I get that. However, it's you, you still have to find a way to not put up and make big chunk plays. Going back to the defense, like I said from the, the previous topic with USC, the same issue with this. Brent Venables needs to go back to his old way of defense and you know fix the defensive struggles on there, not give up too many big chunk plays and not give up too many big yardage. He needs to uh, tighten the coverage up a little bit, and I want to see what that defense does and how they make adjustments from last season, they're still it's still rebuilding. They rebuilt from last year, first season, and it's like okay, six and six. It's not where we want to be. We want to be better, and I know Brent Venables wants to be better than that. So he's a, he's a solid coach. I believe in Brent Venables. Now we just got to see what mountains that Oklahoma will climb, and we got to see what the offense does, and we have to see what the defense, you know, how they adjust, you know. So those are my outlooks for Oklahoma. You know, open up the playbook a little bit more for Oklahoma, and then tighten up the coverage and everything for you know the defense. So I, I think those are my two big outlooks for. Oklahoma. Last and not least, let's move on to a, then the, my last spring outlook. Oregon, April 29th is their spring game. Oregon. Recruiting class, another, another, another roof. You know, it has been just, I mean, out, you know, I mean, listen, I haven't seen an Oregon recruiting class look that good in a while. So, Top five recruiting class. I mean, Dan Lanning's doing an amazing job up there. And my only outlook I got for them is, you know, what's going to happen, you know, with Bo Nix? How has he improved a little bit more? I think that's my outlook. Let's see if because Bo Nix took it to another level, uh, you know, last season. What's Bo Nix going to do now? And what's Bo Nix going to, you know, do to take it to the future, you know? What's he going to do now, and what how, what mountain is he going to climb now? So, uh, I, I, that's my only outlook for Oregon, is what's Bo Nix going to do? Um, their recruiting class is off the charts. There's going to be more quarterbacks come in. There's going to be more players coming for Oregon. The future is real bright for Oregon, in my, in my estimation. Whether, you know, they in the future they're in the Big Ten or whether they're staying in the Pac-12, Oregon's a top team, and Dan Lanning is insanely good. So, I mean, I think Oregon looks like a team that will be a threat. I think Bo Nix looks, you know, looks phenomenal in an Oregon uniform. He's been he's been doing really good for Oregon. So, let's see what Bo Nix does. You know, that's my that's my only my only outlook for Oregon, you know. I want to see what the new recruits do for Oregon and I want to see how they can improve and take their take their talents and see what immediate impact they can make for the team. That's my first outlook. And my second outlook is how, I mean, what Bo Nix can do next. And is he going to take it finally to his final level in college football and reach the mountaintop and maybe even be a, a dark horse for the Heisman? So let's see what Bo Nix does in Oregon and let's see what they, let's see what Oregon does overall. Moving on, that was my spring outlook. So uh, my last bit of spring outlooks for all teams. And listen, spring football is an exciting time for everybody. It's an exciting time for just everybody to just sit back, you know, and see what teams do. See what, you know, see, like I said, Oregon does. Let's see what Bo Nix can do. Let's see what Oklahoma does on the defensive side. Let's see what USC can do on the defensive side. Let's see what their teams need to improve on and what they need to look, what they're looking forward to 
come fall. So that's my spring outlook. And, you know, I'll give you my uh, thoughts of everybody in the spring and what everybody can improve on and what everybody looks good at doing currently. So that's my spring outlook there. Moving on, let's talk about, you know, Texas A&M. You know, and I said I was going to mention Texas A&M last week. And, you know, I didn't because of the crunch of time. But let's talk about Texas A&M, the quarterback battle, and the state of the program for Texas A&M. Now, where do I begin, really? The season did not go good for them. They were preseason top 10, number six in the in the top 10 last season. They didn't look all that good against Sam Houston State. So when I was looking at it, I'm like, oh, okay, that, that didn't look. That, that worries me a little bit. But, I mean, let's see. Let's just see. They were you know, number six. Let's see what happens. You know, they had a uh, killer recruiting class, the number one recruiting class, a bunch of five stars, probably most in Texas A&M history. So, I mean, good recruiting class, and they were on another level there. They didn't look good against Sam Houston State, but they got the job done. Next week, Appalachian State rolls into town. They got beat by App State. So, App State played a heck of a game. A&M was left scratching their heads, wondering, okay, what what did we do? You know, what happened? We didn't have that electrifying of an offense. Haynes King, you know, wasn't, you know, electrifying in that game. The offense wasn't, you know, doing all that good. And, you know, our defense couldn't hold up against, you know, uh, Chase Bryce and, you know, Appalachian State. So it's, you know, we're sitting there going, oh, okay. You know, that's that's a huge, that's a huge no-no for AM. That's a huge loss for them. So we're so we're, we're thinking, we're sitting back, okay, it can get better. Just one upset loss. That's gonna fire them up. That's not the way it, it happened. Uh they got a win against Miami. Good. They bounced back against Miami. Uh, they they lost and kept losing and lost again. Lost again. They played against Ole Miss. Good. They played a good a few games, a few, you know, a few good plays against Ole Miss and Alabama. They lost those two games. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and as I keep going here, it's like, okay, they didn't, they kept losing. They lost against State. They lost against South Carolina. They lost against Ole Miss. They lost against Alabama. They beat LSU. They end the season against LSU. And on a high note, they beat LSU. They didn't make it to the bowl game. They went four and seven. So, a lot went wrong for AM. Defense for sure went wrong, but their offense was stagnant. Their defense was not as bad as their offense. I say their defense was just they're on the field so much. It's like their defense was on the field so much. It's like we can't help it, you know? So, uh, the defense gets a pass for Texas AM. However, their offense needs work, and that was the whole key to their program right now was their offense. We need an offensive coordinator. Uh, a lot of people were saying, why is Jimbo Fisher calling the plays when they have an offensive coordinator there? We need an offensive coordinator that's going to call plays. We need somebody that's going to you know, set the further you know, example right and lead their offense into, you know, into a, the offense of the future, you know? I mean, lead to an offense of today, not lead into an offense of, you know, uh, of, you know, yesteryear. And that's the best way to put it. Uh, the offense is more reminiscent of a 2013, 2014 style offense, pro, uh, you know, you know, you know, spread type offense of 2013, 2014 when he was at Florida State. 
He kept saying, nothing's wrong with the offense. It's fine. It's fine. Not calling out Jimbo Fisher by any means. What I'm saying is it kept going and kept going and kept going, you know, and it kept getting worse. It kept getting worse game by game by game. So then there was no choice. You know, you had to get a new offensive coordinator. And, and, and Ross Bjork knows that. Ross Bjork went up to him and said, hey, okay, we need a new, we need a new offensive coordinator. You know, we, we need to give up play calling duties, get a new offensive coordinator, and let's have an offense that fits today's college football. So what do we do? You know, what do we do? Who do we get? And they hire former Missouri State head coach and former Arkansas head coach Bobby Petrino. What a personality, you know. He was an offensive coach back in the day for Arkansas, and Arkansas lit it up on offense. They were, you know, they were, you know, top notch, you know. They were, you know, consistent in the West. They were one of the best teams in the SEC, not just in the SEC West or SEC, but they were one of the best teams in college football, and they were feared. So, you know, Bobby Petrino, excellent head coach, good offensive mastermind. And, you know, we're going to see if Bobby Petrino has adapted to the play-calling style of today. And that's what we want to see from A&M. We want to, because A&M's got the talent. You know, they got the talent. But can they coach them into today's offensive style, into today's style of college football? You can't. You got to adapt as a head coach in college football nowadays. As the years and decades go on in college football, you have to adapt. And I think the state of Texas A&M just needs to adapt into today's college football. You can't play a brand of football that is just, you know, not not 2010 or 2013. You got to play a brand of football that is 2023 and it's a high octane offense that it's like okay, you're going to get up, you're going to get chunks of yards and we're going to get those yards at will. So it's like, can Bobby Petrino call the plays and his, is his play calling style adapted for today's offense? We're going to see. And that's what I want. That's another outlook I want to see from Texas A&M in the spring. And, you know, I said I was done with spring outlooks, but that's an outlook I want to see from the spring. I want to see what's happening there. So going into the state of A&M and their quarterback competition, they got two quarterbacks. Connor Wingman and Max Johnson, the transfer from LSU. I mean, if you had the real quick here, if you had the adjustment, you know, who do you start? You know, it's, I mean, if you want to go with experience, you go with, you know, Max Johnson. You know what I'm saying? If you want to go with experience, you go with Max Johnson. If you want the, you know, if you want, you know, to keep adding experience on and go into the future, you go with Connor Wingman. Connor Wingman, you know, played lights out against LSU last season and the end of the year. So, I mean, he carried a little bit of that, you know, that crunch and that burden, you know, and that 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 weight of the offense last season of, you know, after Max Johnson broke his hand. So, it, it, I think, I mean, it's kind of a coin flip on who you start between Max Johnson and Connor Wingman. You may have to take a Michigan approach and play one guy in the first half and then the second guy in the next half. And then you decide in during like in game, okay, this is our guy. We're going to go with him and we're going to keep rolling with him. So, you know, good for Texas A&M. And, you know, they got two good quarterbacks there. That's a start. But the offense needs to be, you know, looked at. They got to prove something now. I mean, they it wasn't a good season. Everybody was down on Jimbo Fisher and that offense. A lot of people have left the program. A lot of people like tra- have transferred out. 
a lot of those five-star recruits they have lost. And we have, you know, some people going to the NFL draft, including Devon A-Chain, running back, who was a huge part of their offense last year. That was one of the bright spots of their offense was Devon A-Chain. They have an I.S. Smith. That's pretty good. And we're going to see what they do there. They're going to replace him with five-star running back Ruben Peoples. That's another good pickup from high school. Good recruit there. So we're going to see what that offense does and how does A&M adapt. That is what we want to see. A&M's got a lot to prove. A lot to prove. And that's the, that's where the state of Texas A&M football is right now. They got a lot to prove. They have... You know, they got to they got to see how can we adapt and we got to see, you know, what is, you know, what is what are the keys right now and what can be done to fix that offense and can we be, you know, an offense to look out for in the future, you know, and that they just got to adapt, really. That's that's the bottom line of Texas A, the state of Texas A&M football. They have to adapt. If they don't adapt, otherwise it's going to get messy and it's going to get worse. And I'm just being straight up, you know, it's going to get worse. And that's not, I mean, as a spectator and as a, as a fan or as anybody in the SEC, you know, you want, you know, you want the competition, you know, you want to, you know, the competition and you want the challenge to take yourself to the next level. A&M's not there yet, but this year is a rebuilding year for them and in a, in a year to prove themselves to see, okay, we're adapting and we're getting there. So that's that's where the state of the program is now. So we're getting there and we're going to have to see what Texas A&M does and we're going to have to see if they can adapt. So moving on from Texas A&M football, we're going to talk about the pivotal matchups in the college football playoff race. And then we're going to, you know, and that's how we're going to conclude the episode. I'm going to give you five games to look out for for now. I'm going to give you five games, the last five games next week to look out for, you know, for next week. So, you know, I saw an article on 24-7 Sports where, okay, there are top 10 games that are going to, you know, create the, you know, the schedule and the create the the race for the college football playoff going into 2023. The last four-man playoff, by the way, the last four-man college football playoff you know, is coming this year before we move to the 12-man 12, 12 playoff format. So it's interesting. I'm really excited about that. Um, so, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But pivotal games for the 2023 college football playoff race and how it's going to impact the playoff race. So I'm going to give you my five now, and I'm going to give you my five next week on Pigskin Frenzy. So the first five now. I agree with some of their lists. So, you know, the games I did agree on, we're going to kick it off with number one, and that's LSU at Alabama. That's going to be, you know, what's going to decide the SEC West, I would assume. You know, LSU's, you know, is loaded, and they got a lot of their players coming back. Uh, Alabama, you know, they have, you know, a lot of people they've lost. They have question marks. Bryce Young, uh, you know, who's going to replace him? Is it going to be Ty Simpson? Is it going to be Jalen Milrow? Uh, You lose Jameer Gibbs, but you got Jace McClellan back. You got Ja'Cory Brooks back. You got a lot of players back, and it's still Nick Saban, of course. It's still Nick Saban. So, you know, Alabama should be okay and will be okay. So you got them. It's at Tuscaloosa. And the reason why Alabama lost a lot of these games were they were on the road. They beat Texas on the road. They got Texas at home this year. So that's another good piece. Um, they have uh, Tennessee at home. 
that's a you know that's a game that I'm going to talk about uh, uh, later on in you know in a future episode. So uh, they you know they got LSU at home also. That was a game that they needed and they lost on the road this past season. So LSU at Alabama should be a bunch of fireworks there. It's a key rivalry in the SEC, and it should be one that decides the SEC West and who goes to Atlanta representing the West, presumably against Georgia and maybe even Tennessee if Tennessee you know, puts up a fight against Georgia, but presumably in the projections against Georgia again. So LSU-Alabama, that's number one. That's going to decide a huge matchup in the playoff hunt as well. So number two, as always, Ohio State and Michigan. Those two teams are built for the playoff this year. They're ready, and we're going to see who decides who goes to Indianapolis in the Big Ten and also who goes and represents the Big Ten in the college football playoff. I assume both teams will be presented and presumably be undefeated going into the matchup. It's biled in as the game, uh, and it's and it's the biggest. It is probably the biggest rivalry in college football and in college football history in general. So Ohio State, they got a lot of talent. They got to figure out who's going to replace CJ Stroud. They got you know Marvin Harrison Jr. back, a huge pickup for them there. They got Kavion uh, uh, Henderson back. They got uh, they got Trevion Henderson back. They got. Uh, um, Mayan Williams back. That's a huge pickup on the ground game there. They got a lot of guys back. They're trying to see if Kyle McCord or Devin Brown's going to start, but whoever starts it will, could lead into an undefeated season against Michigan. Now, Michigan's got a lot of guys back too, presumably J.J. McCarthy at quarterback, who is now a junior, along with junior running back Donovan Edwards and now senior running back Blake Corum. So the ground game is going to be special there. That is the best one-two punch on the ground in college football today in Michigan. And they presumably will go undefeated. I mean, good good offensive line, good pieces on defense. Michigan, you know, is looking like they're going to make a try to make another run and make a three p as a Big Ten champion. Right now, the presumed favorite is Michigan, but Ohio State is there. So it will be between Ohio State and Michigan. That will decide the Big Ten championship could be and will decide a spot in the college football playoff. But yet again, it may not because, you know, both teams ended up going to the Big Ten, going up to the uh, the playoff last season. So who knows? But it will decide and make an impact on the college football playoff race per usual. So number three, this is an interesting one, LSU versus Florida State. Opening up September 3rd, opening up in, in Orlando, we got Jordan Travis on one end, Jaden Daniels on the other end for LSU. Is going to be an offensive matchup for fireworks. We didn't know how it was going to impact the playoff race, race last year, but Florida State ended up being a threat you know, to a bunch of teams on their schedule. They lost to Clemson, of course. They lost to Clemson. Um, but you know, they beat LSU in that opener. It was a fireworks game. One point loss for LSU, 24-23. Huge game, huge game for both teams, but it turned LSU and Florida State seasons around. And presumably, you know, they ended their seasons on high notes. Florida State beat Oklahoma in Orlando at the Cheez It Bowl against, you know, yeah, beat Oklahoma in the Cheez It Bowl uh, in Orlando, and LSU beat Purdue in Orlando in Orlando against Purdue uh, in the Citrus Bowl. So Florida State, LSU, presumably will be top 10, you know, top 10 teams going into that Sunday night matchup on Labor Day weekend, September 3rd. That could decide and who, who has a leg up in the playoff hunt. 
and who has a key win on their resume. So, you know, two potential contenders in the playoff hunt, LSU, Florida State, this will decide, you know, who pushes it further for them going into a playoff race. So LSU, Florida State at number three for me. Number four, I would say Florida State and Clemson. That will decide not only who wins the who will go who goes to the ACC championship and who could win the ACC championship, but who has a leg up for the ACC in the playoffs. I think if Clemson goes undefeated and wins out and beats Florida State, I, I honestly think Clemson will end up going to the playoffs, um, and vice versa for Florida State. If they beat LSU, ended up beating Clemson because Clemson will presumably be a top ten team going in this season. I think Florida State has a shot at going to the ACC championship. And if they do go to the ACC championship and win and go undefeated, they're in the playoffs. So I think that matchup will decide huge stakes for the ACC and the future of the ACC and what you know and how they can make and how the ACC can make noise into a playoff. So I think that's going to be good for you know for both teams. I think it's going to be a top ten matchup. It's going to look good on both resumes, and it's going to give us a chance to see how good Clemson and Florida State is this season. So that's going to be a, a pivotal matchup in the playoff hunt in 2023. Number five. And this is my last one before we go to my last five next week. So I'm going to end this. I'm going to end everything here. Number five, USC at Oregon. And I told you, I, I hinted at it earlier, USC and Oregon. That is an important matchup for USC, presumably because Oregon's a solid team. They got Bo Nix. They got some, you know, they got some weapons on defense, got some weapons on offense at receiver and running back. USC's got Caleb Williams. They're bringing him back. They got Travis Dye at running back. And the key question is, this, this is going to impact the, off, the, the playoff hunt for the Pac-12. And can they get a Pac-12 team in? That's what this matchup is about. Can Oregon be undefeated by the time they face on November 11th? And can USC be undefeated by the time they face Oregon on November 11th? So that's the, that's the real question. That's the key right there. So USC has Caleb Williams. Oregon has Bo Nix. It's going to be a top quarterback battle and potentially probably a Heisman quarterback battle there. So, I mean, the key question is, can USC's defense hold up and can get can they get that defense adjusted for a big time matchup like this? So that is a huge question mark going into a game like this. So what's gonna happen? I don't know. It's gonna be fireworks for sure, but that that is a game because of the weapons, because of the question marks on defense for USC and some question marks on Oregon side too. I mean, that is a yeah, is a, you know. Uh, a game that could impact the college football playoff race and could easily slip you know one of those two teams in as a Pac-12 champion at that number four spot in 2023. Those are the five games that I think right now are pivotal in the college football playoff race in 2023. And again, I will give you my last five next week, six through 10 for 2023 next week. So that wraps about everything up. I mean, again, a big thank you for tuning in to some Pigskin Frenzy and listening to some college football coverage by me. If you're on YouTube, watch it on there. Subscribe to the channel. Leave a like on the episode and leave a comment down below. If you're watching or if you're listening on Podbean, share around with others and follow on there as well. Spotify, same thing. If you're listening on there, uh, share around with others and follow on there as well. Twitter, it's at Pigskin underscore Frenzy, all lowercase, just 
uh, type it in on that bad boy, follow and like the page there. You'll get episode updates as well as notifications and news and highlights from across college and NFL football. Facebook, same thing. All you got to do is follow, like the page there. You'll get episode updates as well as news and notifications from across college football and NFL football. That just about does it. A big thank you for taking some time out of your Tuesday. Um, NFL is Thursday. We're going to be talking about, you know, the Odell Beckham Jr. signing going to the Ravens. You don't want to miss that. We're going to talk about what's this mean for them and what's this mean for Lamar Jackson. Again, do not miss it. Have some more NFL draft updates as well. Again, NFL edition of Pigskin Frenzy Thursday. I'm Joel Norris signing off, and we will see you Thursday for a di another edition of Pigskin Frenzy.